You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. All right, you are listening to the Breaking Free Podcast today, where we are raising up 1,000 mentors to help people experience radical life transformation. Mentors to help people break free from addiction, the bondage of religion, the despair and isolation of homelessness, and the self-imprisonment of negative thinking and self-limiting thoughts. So let's get real. Let's get started. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. How are you today, buddy? <laughs> I am uh, I'm well. All right. Well, we are, uh, we're picking up in another episode, uh, maybe a it may be another week before it comes out, uh, but we're just minutes away from having recorded the last one, so we're just going to pick up in that last episode. Uh, we've been talking about small group leaders being uh, uh, prime opportunity mentors to see themselves that way as they listen to people and give people an opportunity. And the fact that you can be a mentor just by sitting in a restaurant booth and listening to somebody and uh, being a safe place, uh, being interested. You were saying uh, being present in the present, and I love that. Um, what I'd like us to uh, sort of dig into and unpack in, in this episode is that in that process of listening, whether you're in a small group, whether you're, whether you're in a restaurant, whether you're in a telephone conversation one-on-one, um, is is what happens when 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 people feel safe, uh, or they get desperate enough mm. uh, to to begin to unpack their story to you? Uh, one of the things I I like to talk about is that people will tell you what their lie is, and we had mentioned in in the previous episode there's there's the six areas of of well being, and uh, uh, spiritual, relational, financial, physical, emotional, etc. Uh, when when they have dis-ease, D-I-S dash ease, mm-hmm. in an area of normal well-being, uh, there is there is something they've they've latched onto. Um, in the concept of good and evil, there's an evil that they've embraced, a, a lie about themselves. Uh, whether it be, you know, nobody likes me. Uh, I, I just always screw everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even even to take on those things of, well, I, I have anxiety issues. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some lie that, that they latch onto that uh, they begin to program themselves with until that thing becomes their identity. Uh, when you do that, that identity makes you vulnerable to a situation or what we call a trap. And, and so you will exhibit a behavior, you will make a decision, uh, you will react a certain way, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that ends up leading you into some type of addictive situation, whether it be as simple as self-limiting thoughts uh, and, and a negative self-image uh, to you pursuing religion to be your your fix, thinking that you're going to do some type of works or penance to get out of that, whether it's a chemical addiction, whether it's a, uh, 
uh, an imaginary embracing of, of a habit, uh, et cetera, there, that, that lie makes you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, let's talk for a minute here about in, in a small group environment or, or that, that two or three couples or, or fellas that are sitting together at, in a restaurant booth or a group of tables, um, people cannot help but go very long and not spill their lie out, can they? No, <laughs> no. It's funny if you just sit there. <laughs> One of the big things is, is you know, for me, I had to learn this. I don't like quiet, right? And so I used to record myself in meetings because I found myself, I thought, I wonder how I'm perceived. And I remember asking a question and then saying, nobody's going to answer. You guys don't have an answer. And I went back and timed how long I waited after the meeting. And I waited 1.8 seconds. And 1.8 seconds to me felt like 10 seconds. No question. So, So I think learning to be okay with that moment because people will begin to talk and especially just being sensitive to the reality that this is coming out. You know, if we, the more in tune you get with spiritual things, and, and I don't want to sound fruity, but, but seriously, the more you understand that you're just like, okay, be, be really mindful of the moment and, and look at a person in the eye. You feel them. You see inside and, and let them do their thing. They're going to start telling you all sorts of realities. And then you can address that very directly. And a lot of times it'll come out. Someone will say something that you know is, is a lie, right? Is, an, mm-hmm. is a negative thought. And all you have to do is say, huh, <laughs> like I've said it many times, I'm like, huh, I'm like, what? Because when you, because here's the thing, I think this is a mistake a lot of people will make now. I don't know if I'm, this makes sense getting into this, but a lot of times people will just go right to it. And they'll say, they'll disagree. Well, now you've just been in an argument, right? Mm-hmm. But when I go, huh, they go, what? Well, they just asked me. Yeah. <laughs> now they've opened the door and I say, well, I, do you, do you really believe what you just said? Yeah. And then you start getting in the dialogue. I'm, I'm not a hug guy, but I'll typically say, uh, can, can you repeat what you just said? Right. Right. You know, something to that. So, yeah. It's, it's just, it's keying in on that moment. And sometimes you're, I'm personally, I'm keying in on it because I'm like, is that an issue? Like, did I hear that? Right. Is that, is that really a, a thing? And that's why sometimes it does come out with, is that, what you really think or are you just kind of being emotional about it right now or whatever, you know, but it's all about just knowing the person. I think you have to go back, you know, when we talk about shepherding the sheep, they, they know them, right? In John 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know my name. So are they, I know their name or, you know, how that all comes out. Point is we know each other. And so when you are sitting down with somebody at a restaurant, if you don't know them, that's another thing too. Maybe you're on the front end of mentorship, Right. Mm-hmm. And you're just getting to know them. There you go. Do that. Yeah. Get to know them. And and you find I think what you end up finding is inconsistencies with what you see and what they say. And they just kind of stick out to you. And if you're again mindful, if you're just listening and not thinking about what you're gonna say next, but listening to them, you're gonna say, Well, that's inconsistent. That doesn't line up with this. Which one's wrong? And typically the one that's wrong is the one they're telling you not the demonstration of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Cuz cuz we we say what we want a lot of times too. Like, oh, I'd like to be this way and we say it as it's as if it's fact, but it's not. No. <laughs> no. 
uh, they probably like the way they already are and they have a comfort zone, right. but they feel guilty for being the way they are. Yes. So, but you hit on something. Um, uh, the people that the people that we like to talk most about is ourselves. Yes, that's true. And and so one of the keys to being a good mentor is is to not talk about yourself uh, any more than is necessary than to initiate a conversation or to keep a conversation going sometimes at times, because you don't want to come across as if you're playing 20 questions. Right. Well, how old are you and where are you from and, and what kind of upbringing do you have and how many brothers and sisters do you have? So you're going to intersperse conversation about them with something that relates to you, and then you're going to go back and ask them a question to get them to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, so you're going to let them open up about themselves. And I think what happens is, in an effort to relate, we we gravitate to that thing, and then we don't know how to stop talking. And I like to look at it like a first date, because there's two things in this. I think, one, at the core... Um, yeah, I mean, you and I both have to go back a while to remember. Yeah, I'm that, trying right? to think. First date, wow, that would be 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but um, I think at the core, and I, I do want to come back to this statement because I think it's the the kind of the the apex of all this is we want to be known. People want to feel like they're really truly known. Yeah, and so in order to do that. And these are all subconscious things, and you just you can sit and watch it. I, I love being at a big table, people, you know, just listen to them <laughs> how they interact. But what we'll do is, let's say you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan, right? And so you sit down, and somebody says, um, you know, well, tell me about yourself, and they're like, well, I'm an OU fan. Oh my gosh, I'm a huge OU fan, and and then you go off. You just ask them to tell them, tell you know, whatever, tell tell have them tell you about themselves. And yet you stop and you talk about how you're an OU fan and you start telling a story because it just cascades. Yeah, in fact, this one time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you go down this list. And meanwhile, they're like, oh, okay. Because again, like you said, people default to want to talk about themselves. So instead, consciously, and you only have to do this the first time and it will it will propagate itself is that when someone says, I'm an OU fan, you want to say something. I get it. So you say, man, me too. Go ahead. Yeah, you just now you've identified with them. They're not wondering, are you an OSU fan or you whatever you you've you've made that connection, but you're you're going right back to them. Or even if you want to dig deeper in that particular area, you say, man, me too. What's your favorite memory? What you know, what do you you know, what do you like about them? Whatever now, because what you might find is this you as the OU fan might know stats. You might know history and coaches. And for them as an OU fan, they watch two to three games a year on Saturday. There you go. And so you've not oversold. You've learned where they really land. Or you might ask them, how do you end up an OU fan and not an OSU fan? Exactly. And that opens a door yes. for a whole bunch of information to come out. Well, my, my whole family's gone to OU or, you know, we don't like the color orange. Or- <laughs> right. And often, you know, it's funny you say that, but seriously, that's one of the best things. I mean, that's a, that's a home run question because more often than not, especially in the particular, you know, scenario we just chose, it is family driven. Mm-hmm. And if it's family driven and you ask that question, you're going to now get into the family. And, and you may, this is the funny thing. You'll ask that question. How did that happen? And within 17 minutes, by the time you get to the 17th minute, 
you're finding about the physical abuse that came from Uncle Jack, yeah, or the abandonment that came from a dad that was not present, and the only thing he ever sent you was an OSU football, blah blah blah. And so all and all you did was how did that happen? <laughs> I remember asking a, a girl a question who was on one of my podcasts. I just asked a question. That apparently nobody asked. She had lost her uh, brother and her dad, but she had lost them years. Like her brother about 20 years ago, her dad 10 years ago. Mm. And she was recounting when they told her about her brother. He was an older brother and she was just a little girl. And I said, how did that make you feel? Just to, how did, can you describe to me? And boy, that was, that. she lost it so quickly because emotionally, you know, because, Nobody's really asked her that question. How do you feel? And maybe, I mean, how could you? She was probably, I don't know her exact age, but I'm guessing seven when she lost her brother. Wow. And so even if you ask that question to a seven-year-old, they're, they don't have the articulation, you know, the ability yeah. to communicate it. And so, um, so yeah, I love that scenario. Like I want to, I can't wait for the next time I get to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier I was thinking, uh, when we're talking about being president of the president and, and uh, initiating conversation, people like to talk about themselves. Um, I was going to say, there's, there's two extremes. And, and I'm realizing that I'm, I'm using hand motions and people on the audio can't see my hand motions. So <laughs> right. I'm laughing at myself at the moment. Uh, there, there's two extremes. When someone begins to tell us something about themselves, uh, that that triggers one of two responses, typically on, on opposite ends of the stream. Um, and, and both are, we need to avoid. We've already started talking about one of them organically uh, because we identify with something that they bring up. And, and so we identify with what they brought up. We begin to tell them our part of that story. And, and we turn that conversation to make it about us. So, so obviously that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to be mature enough to not make that, turn that conversation to be telling them our story when we're trying to learn their story. Uh, the other opposite extreme of that, uh, equally as bad is, there, there rises up in us that, that we almost probably interrupt them mid-sentence of them telling us their story. When they begin to blurt out their problem, they begin to say something that reveals what their lie is that ultimately we have to help them deal with, but but this urge to fix them. Mm. And uh, I got to tell a funny story of myself. Uh, I'm a certified life coach with Danelle, who will be on this podcast at some point. And... uh, we're going through the training, and after the first night, when I really got a good understanding of what a life coach was about, uh, and, and there's some overlap between being a mentor and being a life coach, but basically, uh, to put it in a nutshell, a life coach doesn't ever give you advice. They ask you questions in, in a guided self-discovery until the light bulb comes on and you go, oh, that's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And then they ask you questions for accountability of what's your first step going to be and and when are you going to get that done by and how are you going to know that was a success and blah, blah. So I've, I just summarized life coaching in four sentences. Danelle would be proud of me. <laughs> or uh, mad at you. Yeah, either way. <laughs> uh, but but after, after this first training session with this group, 
on, and I and I really had my eyes open to what being a life coach was, and I was all excited about joining the training. Uh, I went home that night and told my wife. In fact, I told Danelle, "I'm not sure I'm in the right place." Mm. Uh, because what I do is I fix people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually said that. You said it. I actually said How that. How about that? Uh, because, in my own defense, uh, when you're working primarily with people in drug addiction and people in homelessness, um, they're 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 not looking for advice per se. They're looking for answers. Mm-hmm. Um, they, 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 they sort of want the, the get rich quick response. Mm -hmm. And, and so you just drill down to the core. Well, if you do this and this and this, you know, you got to get an ID and, and, you know, you got to get off the stuff and then, you know, you get on the housing list and, you know, it's so simple. We can get you off the street. Mm. Um, and and you develop into that mentality and really um whew, I don't think I've ever said this before. I don't think I've ever even had this thought before. But but when you are of the mentality that you fix people, that's a God complex. Mm-hmm. And we are we are being Christ to people, but we are not being God to people. Mm. Mm. We are we are being liberating freedom manifested in their midst of their situation in a variety of ways, but we are we are not the puppet master controlling the strings. Yeah, that's good. And uh, so you know, only halfway switch gears here with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as we're talking about as people talk as we give them opportunity and we don't hog that conversation back, we give them opportunity to reveal their lie. Uh, That is a trap for us to not jump in there and give them the prescription. You're going to do this and this and this and drink plenty of water and call me in the morning and you're (laughs) going to be fine. Uh, it's where, as they begin to reveal their lie, that's our opportunity to ask more questions Mm -hmm. and the questions cause them to think because they're telling you their lie. Uh, they're telling you their lie, but they don't know that's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's their identity. They're telling you who they are. Yet they're revealing their lie. You know, as a mentor, that that's a lie, and and you have to ask them enough questions so that their light bulb goes on and goes, "Oh, well, maybe I don't have to be an addict all my life. Mm. Uh, maybe I do have power to make my own decisions. Uh, maybe God is interested in me and my situation." Maybe he's not far away, disinterested, but he's right here walking. You you have to ask questions that help them discover that's a lie. Mm-hmm. Because when you tell them that's a lie, that's just you talking. Right. When they discover that's a lie, they own that truth. Right. That's really good. It's real. And, you know, as you were talking about that, I was just thinking... Uh, 
it's kind of interesting too that there's a predisposition based on the context in which you're gathering. And so, for example, um, that was kind of a fancy statement. <laughs> As yeah. I said that, I was like, that's weird. Okay. So what I mean is, is um, I, my wife and I counseled with a couple. They asked us to do marriage counseling with them. So now you have a context of gathering. Okay. The context is we're going to marriage counsel you. Yeah. Now here's the deal, right? So I hate that. You never win. No. And and here's the, this is why I hate it. Yes, you never win. They always leave mad at you. Oh, this one was okay. Okay. In that regard. But, but here's the deal. You have to approach it radically different. If we were just simply going to dinner, and often when someone says, um, you know, can you marriage counsel or counsel us? Then what I'll do is they usually talk to me before they talk to my wife. Um, and I'll say to my wife, I'll say, Hey, I want you to contact them and just kind of find out, contact the wife and find out, is there something specific they want to talk about? Because if it's something sensitive, then we're going to meet at our house. If it's not, I'm going to say, why don't we meet for dinner? That's good. And I do that because, and I say, we're not really counseling that we're just hanging out. And I mean that. I really mean that mm-hmm. because of the context. Well, this particular case, um, she called and there was something sensitive. And I didn't know for sure if we were going to talk about it, but it was a sensitive thing. So we met here at the house and around the fire pit. Well, the what do you do with that? You can't because they come in and they're like, all right, fix us <laughs> to yeah. your point. Right. And they don't say that. But I have a tendency. So this is what I say. They, they have an unrealistic expectation. Right. And 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 how, why wouldn't they, I guess is my Which point. Which means they're headed for disappointment, most likely. <laughs> right. So so I disarm it. And this is what I said. I, was, I looked at them and said, so what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> and I just asked that question and I kind of laugh about it. Because that's, I, I feel like the only way to disarm those situations is to kind of call them out as this mm-hmm. is kind of stupid, huh? And then what comes of it is ultimately we would have been much more served by us going to dinner um, because we didn't really ever talk about the specific issue that came up, right? And so what they said was they never got premarital counseling. And so they th- they said, well, we just never got that. We wanted it. And we thought you guys would be good. Well, yeah, now, now we're talking because now we're just going to talk about a handful of things we've learned, but I'm going to find out about them. You know, we ask questions about just, just the same thing we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think I bring all that story up because I think when we're talking about mentorship relationship, there's a context when you sit down with somebody and you say, you know, or they say to you, I, will you mentor me? <laughs> there's a context that has to get, adjusted otherwise you will find yourself trying to fix them you'll find yourself in that god complex because you're the mentor when you are simply present as we've already talked about now what's happening is and i love how you worded that when you when you said we are not god we are jesus very few people make this this distinction and i've never heard it made in this context jesus was access to god Okay. Well, we're not, we're not their access. He's also a mediator between man and God, but he's a doorway. He's a pathway. So us being, uh, Jesus to them, what we're saying is, is that the Holy spirit that lives in us, the same Holy spirit that dwelt in Christ, that Holy spirit is going to draw them. And our job is to introduce them to the father Mm -hmm. and, and, not necessarily for the first time, but introduce this scenario that where they are right now to the father. And that's what, when you're just talking about asking those questions, 
That's precisely what's happening because we're not saying anything. We're just simply getting them to think. And by getting them to think, what are they, what are they having to do? They're having to get introspective. Yeah. They're having to turn inside the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who's now going to speak to them in a still, small voice, as Scripture says it. When, when they get introspective, they begin for the first time to be accountable for themselves. Yes. Instead of you holding them accountable. Right. And Aaron said it today in the meeting we were in about, uh, and I'm sure it's part of Danielle's training, which I haven't been through. <laughs> but but when you when you are helping them discover things about themselves, when you're discovering it for them, it doesn't stick. Yeah. But when they discover it, it does stick. And I, yeah. I, I think that's solid gold right there because it is absolutely true. So the context of, of the last episode and this episode is that there's these six areas of, of well-being. And mm-hmm. as we go forward, we want to dig into them more specifically. Uh, but let's, let's paint a picture maybe of where we want to go in our next episode. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm known for saying is that our doing flows out of our being. And so when our doing is messed up, it, it tells us that our being is messed up. Uh, and we don't fix doing, we fix being. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we fix your identity, and I probably am wrong in saying it that way because that sounds counter to what we've been talking about, <laughs> right. okay? But but when an individual can fix their identity, they can fix their doing. Mm-hmm. You 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 never are able to fix doing by by giving yourself another rule to follow, right? Well, you know, I'm 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 just not going to go to porn sites anymore. No, the more you think about not going to a porn site, the more you are tempted to go sure. to a porn site. The more you're tempted to go to a porn site, the more likely you are to give in and actually go to a porn site. Right, which is your spiral of defeat and depression and all the other things that happen. So we we know, look at what we look at is what we do. Yes. Period. So. So instead of trying to create a law for us to follow, to fix our doing, we discover who we are. So when I discover that, you know what, I am, one, I am, I am satisfied with myself because I know that God approves of me. And I am faithful to my wife because faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a part of my core being because he is in me. I am his temple. Therefore, faithfulness comes out of me naturally. Mm. Now, if I focus on my faithfulness instead of my behavior, I'm not tempted to go to the porn side anymore because I am reinforcing my proper being. So in our next episode, I want to I want to suspend some time uh, talking before we go into these six areas of well-being individually, the concept of how we how we identify what our being is mm. uh, and how we separate being from behavior. Uh, I think that'd be a great place to go. Yeah, I think Natural be good flow too. from where we're at here. No doubt. Listen, we are excited uh, that you have been with us uh, uh, in this episode. We hope that uh, if you weren't with us in our last episode, that you'll go back and pick it up because they really go together. Uh, if you were in us 
this episode here. We're going someplace next week that is is tied to this. So uh, uh, just binge uh, listen if you need to uh, to catch up. Uh, you can email us and contact us at RLT for Radical Life Transformation, RLTMentors at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Give us some feedback. Let us know if you'd like to be a mentor or if you'd like help in being a mentor uh, or if you need mentoring by someone. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. We look forward to see- seeing and hearing you again. God bless.